so excited to be sharing this conversation with Parker. Um, I allude to this a little bit in the episode, but we actually connected because um, he saw that I was doing a live podcasting event at Soho House in Austin, um, and he had also been planning on doing a conversation about mental health at Soho, uh, one of the Soho houses in New York. So shout out Soho House for connecting us. I feel pretty excited about that. And um, yeah, I just had the best time learning about him, learning about his story and his mission with Be Here Now, which is just an incredible organization to really spread awareness and tell stories about mental health um, through the art of photography and filmmaking. And it's just really beautiful. And um, as someone who's always just really been interested and uh, fascinated by film and, um, and photography, I, I have just like a huge, so much respect for uh, Parker and what he does. So I really encourage everyone to um, listen to this episode. Uh, I guess I will provide a little bit of a, a content warning, uh, content warning that there is, you know, some discussion of suicide ideation. Um, however, I do encourage again, everyone to really listen to the episode and, and pause if you need to uh, go on a walk, maybe meditate, uh, just take a break and then uh, return to the episode if when you do feel better or feel ready to listen because um, the conversation is really important and I think uh, everyone should uh, listen to uh, what Parker has to say because everything he says is, is very beautiful. Um, before I jump in, I just want to plug two of my sponsors in the mental health space, uh, those being BetterHelp and Talkspace. Um Sorry, also if you hear some squeaking in the background, Winky has a ball and it is the most annoying thing in the entire world. But if you want to dip your toes into therapy or if you are just looking for a new therapist and trying to find a more affordable option, definitely check out um, either of these two resources. They are both incredible and just really great ways to get matched with a therapist in less than 48 hours, which is pretty much unheard of in, in most places. So um, the code for BetterHelp is just go to trybetterhelp.com slash Zoe, Z-O-E, and uh, you can get 10% off your first month. Or when you check out of Talkspace, uh, use the code Zoe at checkout and you'll get $100 off your first month. So again, either one, they're very similar in their, in their consumer model. I can vouch for that. And uh, yeah, I just highly recommend, especially now, uh, summers can you know be great, but also hard. So without further ado, here is Parker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Solace and the City. Today, I'm so excited to be here with New York filmmaker and the founder of Be Here Now, Parker Foster. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast. So last minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so if you don't mind just telling me a little, bit, a little bit about yourself, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? How old are you? What's your story? Yeah, so... Currently, I am based in New York. I'm a film director. I mainly work in the commercial space, but 
in the last couple of years, I've been kind of making the pivot into narrative work. Um, I grew up in Texas and I've kind of bounced around from Dallas to Chicago to LA to New York, uh, all of which were moves that were sort of uh, kind of based on like where I was wanting to be located for all the film projects I was working on. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's funny, like all I've ever done is film, all I've ever been as a filmmaker. And so that's kind of like my sort of identity in a sense. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of what makes me up is I'm a filmmaker and I love to just like tell stories about things that we deal with as humans and be like a, as real and vulnerable as possible in those projects. And for me, that is like a release in itself um, for my own struggles. So it's sort of a, a win-win situation to, to be able to do that for a living, but also sort of be able to help myself mentally from those projects. That's so awesome. And I, and I agree with so much of what you said. Um, that's funny that you, you know, we kind of switch locations, me being in Texas now, <laughs> Um, but I guess, so growing up, like how and when did you get into film? I think I actually said this on like my most recent podcast, but fun fact is like I, when I was little, always wanted to be a photographer. Like that was my dream job. I like, you know, got my little camera that had the thing on the back and I mean, forgetting what they're called, (laughs) but I really, I don't know. I just like love photography and I love taking photos of like where I was, but, um, yeah, I'd love to hear more about how you got interested in it. Yeah, I mean, for me, I don't think there was like a light bulb moment that went off or there wasn't like a movie that I watched. And I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Um, sort of what started the whole filmmaking journey was that in middle school and high school, I was a skateboarder. And so every single weekend, me and my friends would leave school, go to the skate park. And for some reason, like I had uh, some sort of like, feeling inside of me that I wanted to document kind of like what you were saying like document where you're going and what you were doing for some reason I really wanted to document my friends skating and like make skate videos so over time like I started taking more photos taking more videos of us skating and eventually started making skate videos um and that sort of led to like uh, a paid hobby that was sort of happening like in middle school and high school where I was filming skate videos and then um using those sort of as like a pitching tool to go make music videos as well. Um, so it picked up as like a hobby through skateboard and that turned into like sort of a part-time job through high school to go out and shoot music videos or skate videos like every weekend, like when I was in high school. That's awesome. And then, so did you always kind of lean towards the more of like documentary storytelling side of it? That's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I think for me, it was just whatever was happening in the moment, like that's what I wanted to tell. Um, but it's sort of like you open up this treasure chest whenever you get into something like filmmaking, because there's so much abundance of it, whether it's in commercials, film, TV, music videos, like all of those have so many different rabbit holes to go down. So for me, it was like this really large sort of self-discovery of like what it is I was interested in and what it is that I like wanted to pursue. Um, so for me, I guess it started with documenting like me and my friends skating, but then that turned into like, oh, like, what are like cool music videos right now? Who are the directors that are working on those? What else have they done? And then that sort of just led to uh, me also discovering this is like 2011. So I'm like dating myself, but like Tumblr was like a huge thing. And for me, it was like, I would post all my photos on Tumblr and find more film stuff through there as well. And that was sort of like my encyclopedia, like in a way uh, was, was sort of finding what I was into through Tumblr and through Flickr and through like YouTube and Vimeo. 
no, you're not dating yourself. I had <laughs> like it's <laughs> I'm like joking about this now, but like if someone had just taken a look at my Tumblr back in 2011, like they would have no doubt that I would eventually battle depression. It was the most <laughs> emo Tumblr ever. It was I think it's still up if like Tumblr still exists. But it was chilling like villains. Everything was in black and white. And it was just like reposting like really depressing Lana Del Rey lyrics and stuff. <laughs> it was honestly Yeah, sick. so that that was your aesthetic though, was like emo black and white. And it's not even like because I and I've like talked about this before, but when I was um, a freshman in high school, which is like probably that around that same time, I lived in Greece with my family and I went to um, an international school and a lot of my friends back then, like early on, that was like the first conversations about depression that I'd had. Like all my friends were like, I'm depressed. And I was like, I feel good. And intertwined with you know body image issues that like I would eventually deal with but at the time I was like living my best life in Greece so I didn't have much to complain about and so even despite that like I was very happy when I lived in in Athens um but I think I just liked the aesthetic of it like I think I just liked the darkness and the um and just I don't know I was attracted to like the black and white yeah vintage shit that i don't know i still think i still wrap my tumblr i think it was cool but now i'll take it <laughs> back and it's like in like flag for inappropriate content like uh, i guess they got a little bit more strict sure in the pictures i guess um but so i i can totally see that and or, or like at least how kind of you um were able to you know share what you were doing through those mediums yeah and it was cool it was kind of like you like not everyone had a tumblr it wasn't like now that every single person is on tiktok or on instagram like if you found someone who had a tumblr you too like kind of instantly had a connection because it was sort of like this unique niche thing you guys were into um and i think that was the first time i realized like i didn't want to be a part of like this cool crowd and whatever was going on like i liked the idea of having like my own little thing that no one else was really into um, and I think if you can develop something like that in the age like 13 or 14, like that's a really cool place to be because it's like, okay, cool. I'm like unique. I'm like doing something that not everyone else is doing. Like this is cool. Um, and so for me, that was like sort of the first mark of like my identity of like, I like this sort of being the skateboarder who makes like music videos and has a Tumblr account. And like, and I don't know really many other people who do that. But when I find other people that do that, we have like this instant connection. And it's cool that it's like you find a small tribe of people yeah. rather than like the masses doing that. And you were living in Dallas at this time? I was, yeah. Okay, so that makes sense why there were not that many people like <laughs> on it. <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't know how it, it Tumblr like blew up in in Athens, Greece, but uh, I think it'd been a little different if you were like in Brooklyn. <laughs> like that. Sure, <laughs> yeah. But I think that like sort of worked to the advantage. Yeah. Of, it was sort of nice like that no one else was into that. Um, and so that was like the fun part about it. Like no one knew what it was, which was mm -hmm. really cool. So like you had your own little like, haven that you could go to and like communicate with your friends who you met stuff like that so when did you like when were you first kind of introduced to mental health or had first affected by it like because you mentioned you know now uh filmmaking um and photography being like an outlet for it so <clears throat> i guess when did the two collide per se yeah, so there's like two distinct moments I can think of, um, one more recent than the other, but 
it was back in, I want to say, I'm trying to think when I turned 21, that was probably like 2015. Um, for some reason, like on my 21st birthday, I felt like I was running out of time. Like I felt really old. And that was like the first time that I had any sort of like panic attack. And I remember at like my like 21st, like birthday dinner with my parents, like I just had like, it was the first time I've ever had a panic attack or anything like that. So anytime, regardless if you experience that or not, the first time you have no idea what's going on because it's not anything you go, Oh, it's a panic attack. I've had this before. It's, it's totally something fresh and new and freaky. Um, so like, I just started like sweating and like freaking out and like had to just like leave and like take like a breather, like outside. Um, and that was sort of the first time that that was like, I would call it like a mental health like episode. And the whole sort of thing that started that was this idea that I'm getting old now, like I'm running out of time, like things are moving too fast. Um, and I can't think of what sort of triggered that or what started that feeling, but that was sort of the first like account I can think of where something happened like that. Um, but with that being only like five or six years ago, it's so crazy kind of how the conversation around mental health has sort of evolved and become more popular to talk about. Cause then like there was no one really talking about things like that happening, like in my age group or even through like commercials or TV. So mm -hmm. it just sort of, I think I just ended up like Googling it and learned it was like a panic attack. And that was kind of it. That was sort of like the last time I experienced that I just kept kind of making things after that and like um, kind of going on with life. Uh, and so the sort of most extreme time that everything sort of felt like it was falling apart was five years later. And that's when COVID happened. Uh, and so just kind of like background, like I said, in the beginning, like all I've ever done is filmmaking. Like when I was 15, I got my first camera. And when I was 15, I started a freelance video business and then did that all through high school. I won Dallas filmmaker of the year when I was a senior in high school. Then I moved to Chicago to pursue music, music videos. Then I moved to LA and then I moved to New York. So all of this was based around film and like climbing the ladder and constantly making things. So for me, I didn't have like a hobby or an outlet or anything like that. Like my, my entire being was being a filmmaker. So when 2020 happened with COVID, that was the first time that I had to actually stop making things because there was nothing to go create. Like everything was on pause, everything was shut down. Uh, and so for me, like, I don't know, it wasn't, it didn't even seem like it was sort of gradual. It just seemed like one day I just like shut down and like, I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to do anything. I felt sort of like my, my purpose, my, my being as a, as a person, like just didn't, not that it didn't matter. I just felt sort of like a very empty vessel, like an empty shell. And that I didn't have anything to give because I couldn't create. Um, and so that was sort of the, I guess, recent, but also like really a, a, a sort of serious time where it's like okay like I need to I can't just google like what is wrong here like I need to seek help mm -hmm. um and it's interesting because it's it's interesting that you're in Austin because that is where sort of everything like broke down I remember like I was on a trip with a friend and we went there like for a weekend trip uh and I forgot where we were we were like walking by the lake or something like that but all of a sudden all this stuff just like built up and I just remember just like breaking down and I think I cried for like 10 minutes and I just didn't but I couldn't tell you why it just was like I felt everything just like was falling apart and breaking um so for me after going through therapy and after having lots of conversations like what I've chalked it up to is that my entire identity was that I'm Parker, the filmmaker. I'm not anything else. At least that's what I thought. Like, that's all I had to bring was I, if I wasn't creating, then I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't bringing value to my life. Um, and so that was sort of like the, the biggest, I guess, 
pivot so far into sort of me realizing more about mental health. Cause when that happened, like, I think just out of my curiosity, like I wanted to look more into mental health and what that really is. And like, you know, cause you hear, like, I think when it's, when it's out of sight, out of mind, like you don't ever think about it, you hear about it, but you just don't, you know, you can't connect with it. So when I heard the words like depression or anxiety, when like high school, I like had, like, I couldn't relate to any of those. So I didn't even sort of give it attention. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think once you go through that, then you sort of can go down this rabbit hole. And and it's interesting. Once you start having more conversations with people, you realize it's not this niche or, or sort of problem that only exists in a few people. You talk to a lot of people and it's not just people our age, it's everyone. And you realize that every single person in some sort of way has either gone through or known someone who has dealt with something like depression or anxiety or suicidal thoughts or lost one to suicide. It's like, it's kind of insane because you, the more you talk about it, you realize it's a majority thing that's going on, but it's sort of talked about as if it's just kind of like in a few different people. Um, yeah. And that was the big eye opener for me was over the last couple of years. It's like, I'm having all these conversations with friends and peers and family members and everyone seems to be connected to some sort of episode they had with mental health, but yet no one brings it up. So how would you even know that someone's going through that? It, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think one thing that's like, I'm, the first thing that kind of um, it's like captured my attention from what you were saying, it almost reminds me of like, I'm sorry, I hate this expression because it's like very dark, but you know how like they say like athletes die two times. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like, it's almost like that. And, and for those listening who are like, why did you just say that morbid comment? It's like an expression because oftentimes athletes are so their identity is so intertwined with the sport that they're they've been playing since they were like four years old so that if they get injured or if they need to retire for whatever reason all of a sudden what they've been doing their entire life what they've based so many decisions like life decisions around and um and and they truly like their self-belief around is gone with it so that's where the expression comes from um and that's kind of what you're saying like when you were forced to literally stop filmmaking because you had to stay in an apartment and wear a mask um I can totally imagine and how debilitating that was for you and and I'm sure a lot of people can relate you know the dancers on Broadway and um people in the entertainment industry there's like a lot of people who had that same kind of fuck now what because there was so much uncertainty in the world we didn't know if it was going to be two weeks or (laughs) here we are two and more plus years later um and what what i what's interesting too is i i think what was weird for me with covid is because i had kind of my own lowest point prior to it happening and I'd done a lot of therapy, a lot of recognition of my own mental health struggles. And like weirdly enough, and this is kind of like the only thing that makes me a spiritual person nowadays is, you know, I started this podcast before COVID happened. So I started it in October, 2019. Um, And if, I don't know how many weeks is between that and March of 2020, but I had had however many weeks of episodes and conversations with people between that time. Most of them were, in person and that was my own like 
holy shit, people are so beautiful and, but there's so much struggle and there's this universal pain that we're all going through and loneliness that we can relate on. And it made my own, like, I kind of joke about this, but like, I think when COVID happened, so many people were, that was their first experience with like uncertainty and like the unknown. And I'm like, bitch, welcome my world. Like (laughs) I am always freaked out about the future. Like I'm very grateful in some ways that I was not that affected by, by COVID because (laughs) I'd spent my entire adult, young adult life, like freaking out about the future. But like, I joke about it, but I, I've, there were people who I spoke with, um, mental health advocates, people who have openly struggled with anxiety, who felt very similar. They're like, well, it was, I mean, obviously they were concerned about their health, but it wasn't as a, a sudden of a change as it would be for someone who, you know, maybe didn't previously take that time to reflect. Um, and just as you were saying, like, I mean, I think one reason the conversation around mental health has opened up so much is because, I mean, if you were, did not struggle in some way during like the first few weeks of lockdown and fo- going forward, like, I don't know whether to admire you or like be very scared of you because <laughs> it's it, like, it's a, a very terrifying, it was, it was a terrifying time and it still is. And so I think people finally were able to A, sit with their thoughts for better or for worse and B, there was finally an outlet or a almost like it was like a scapegoat of being like, well, God, how are you doing? Cause, cause of, you know, COVID like not, you know, not to without us saying like, well, how are you doing? Because you are of your anxiety or depression, but like there was something to finally point to so that people didn't have to keep in something that they thought they were the only ones going through because everyone knew everyone was dealing with COVID. Yeah. And that was, I think, freeing for a lot of people to have something to, because I think that's the freaky part when you deal with your sort of first experience of anxiety or depression. It's usually an unknown thing that you can't think of why that's happening. So it's, it's really a relief to be able to point at something and go, okay, I think that's sort of a root cause or at least some sort of addition to why I'm feeling this way. And that can be really relieving for some people to have at least some sort of, to make some sort of sense out of it. Yeah, Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about Be Here Now and kind of when you started it. I mean, you mentioned that, you know, there is a relationship between um, your filmmaking and your uh, mental health journey. But what really like, I guess, like, yeah, just tell me more about the the story behind it. Yeah. So before COVID, um, and I should have mentioned this before, I started out as a cinematographer. And so my job from 2015 to like 2018 was to serve the vision of like a director. So I got brought onto music videos, commercials, narrative stuff to supply like a visual aid to their vision. Um, And around 2017, 2018, I realized that I wanted to tell my own stories and I didn't want to just like come onto a project just to make stuff look pretty. Like I wanted to tell stories about people. I want to tell stories that could um, move people, inspire people, question things, whatever. Like that's, that's sort of a direction I wanted to go into. Um, So before COVID, I was doing that with sort of more like 
lifestyle type of commercials. Um, one in, in particular I did for Wrangler, which was like a whole film about legacy. And I was able to put my grandfather in it and like have him be like the star. So I was doing these types of projects where like there was some meat to the content um, and they were fulfilling me because I was able to tell stories and, and at least not just make things that were pretty, but at least have some sort of substance for people to watch and take away. Um, so with that same mindset, as I was going through all of this sort of this, the creative in me was like, okay, I need to, I want to make something about like what I went through. Um, because after I talked to enough people, like I felt like it was almost like my duty as a creative to go make something to then be some sort of like beacon of light for others, um, for them to see something that represents them inside. Like, even it's just a 90 second PSA, at least like they have something that they can see as, as a visual aid to be like, okay, I'm not the only one who goes through this. Like I see myself in this. Um, and for me, I thought all of that already existed, but as I watched more and more sort of mental health commercials or PSAs or even films, like I, I realized how sort of like cheesy everything was. Like it was as if there is, there was like a light switch that went off, like in the middle of it, as if like kind of just turn off these feelings and you're back to normal. Um, or at the end, like it would be really cheesy because someone would go up to a window and open the blinds and light would come in. You'd see like Spider-Man like zipping across the city and there's a rainbow in the sky. Like it just didn't, it wasn't realistic, I think, to anyone's experience with mental health. It's not just something you just sort of take a breath and it's gone. I think you, you always sort of deal with it, but you learn how to cope with it at least or learn how to handle it. It's, it's sort of like a muscle that you, the more you work out, the more you can sort of keep it in maintenance and keep control of it um so i kind of had the idea of like i want to make some sort of suicide awareness psa that just shows someone who's broken um behind closed doors but in front of all of their friends and in front of all their peers like they're the the light of the room they're like this this incredible person who's always there for someone and who's like they've you know they they've they've constantly always have a smile on their face and they're always being there for their friends and their peers um, cause the more I talk to people about sort of their experiences, a lot of the people I talked to were friends of mine who were always the happiest when I was around them. It wasn't, it was the people I least expected who would go through this kind of stuff because it's like, really like you, you're depressed. Like you're always happy and you're always like out and about and like doing all these things. Like I, you know, you, it's not like the person you would think it's really the yeah. ones that you least expect. Um, I think just over time, I don't know if it's because of social media, I think we've just been really good emotional chameleons where we can go out in a group of people and we can be this really live friendly person, but then behind closed doors, you have to like, let it all out. And it's, it's, it's a weird sort of duality. And it's also, it can be damaging because you're sort of, you can feel like you're lying to yourself because you're, you're almost putting on this mask when you go outside and you come back, you can be yourself. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with just the insecurity of being open and like letting others know how you feel because you don't want to come off as crazy or out of control or just like uh, just someone who doesn't have a handle on things. Like you want to come off as someone who's happy all the time and really inspired to be around. So that was sort of my concept is I want to make something. We have a girl who's broken inside of her apartment, but over that is like a friend talking about her, how she's the greatest person to be around. <clears throat> she's inspiring. She's happy. She's the light of the world. And I thought that could really resonate with a lot of people because it's not something that ends happy. It's just a statement showing that who we are in front of everyone is not really who we are behind closed doors. Um, and in the process of making that, and I've, and just that being my job already pitching ideas and making those happen, like 
I thought it would be the easiest thing ever to pitch that to some sort of mental health organization. And they're like, sure. Yeah, let's make this. Um, that wasn't the case though. I pitched it to almost, I think every single, not just mental health, like nonprofit, but also organizations or anyone who had something to do in that space that was located in North America. And I think it was 40 to 50 of them, like total that I pitched it to. And they all came back and they said, don't make this PSA. This is a terrible idea. You're actually going to harm more people. Like this is going to be triggering. It's not going to be good. And if you really want to make something, you need to make something safe and something that's not going to like want people to harm themselves. And for me, that was tough because I was writing this treatment and writing this idea from like my own sort of experience. So it wasn't like I just sort of imagined, I wonder what it's like to be depressed and suicidal. I'm going to write from that space. It was, I was writing what I felt like in these moments. And for me, I don't know. I, I think I'm more on the opposite thinking of what these people thought. For me, if I'm someone who doesn't have anyone to talk to and I'm suicidal, I'm depressed, I'm full of anxiety, and all of the advertisements that are made for me always have a happy ending, I feel like that would then push me farther in a darker space because I'm wondering, like, where is my happy ending? Like, why is all the stuff made for me always end happy? Like, why am I not like that? And I think that could isolate mm -hmm. someone more. So my whole sort of reason for wanting to make this was because I wanted to tell something that was true and honest and authentic and didn't have a happy or sad ending. It was just real. Um, but everyone said, don't make this, but I disagreed. And so there was a company who I work with that was able to fund it and we shot it in, I think that was like October of 2021. Um, and then seven months later, it won a Webby for the best mental health film of last year. So it's like, it's one of those weird things that I've, I, I didn't realize like there's like, and it's not, this isn't a bash on mental health organizations. Like I, I understand where they were coming from and why they would want to make that. And I, I get that, but there's like this weird gatekeeping that goes on in every industry where like, you're being told no by these people who like are so-called like the heads. Um, and they're, I think it's just, they're just nervous to make stuff, but it's like, why do you work in mental health and you're like calling stuff triggering and, and might be harmful. It's like, you have to make real stuff and real stuff is going to be edgy and it's going to be raw because that's what the content of the matter is. Like we're, we're talking about depression, suicide, but these aren't like fun topics. And so you, you have to make real content about that. Um, and I'm still seeing this with a lot of companies is that they, they try to add like um, a comedic side to it. And like, I get that and I can see where they're coming from, but it, it's very like off putting. It just feels like kind of like a weird sort of mashup to do with those those like two genres um i would like if someone asked me to direct like a comedic mental health piece like i would not say yes like that, that just sounds weird it's like an oxymoron yeah um or like so that's kind of very in line if you think of like comedians and mental health and all of the ties there like yeah yeah no that's that is so interesting and like it may, really makes me think of something um so I promise this will, this will be related, but I really got, and also like saying this out loud, I always feel like, like I promise I'm okay guys. If anyone listening, but I got really into this podcast called last day. Um, it's on Lemonada media. I'm not sponsored by them. I, I just really admire the podcast and basically each season they go through a different epidemic. So first it was opioids. The most recent one was gun violence and the second season was suicide. So of course I tuned right in. Um, 
And one thing I thought and it was really interesting was they brought on this guy, Courtney something from the Jed Foundation. And he works, I forget his title, but basically like he will make read over everything and talk about like making sure that it's both safe but also informative. And one thing he talked about um, on the, one of the podcast episodes was the idea of trigger warnings and how they actually are kind of counterintuitive in the sense that for two two reasons. The first one, I don't know if I agree with, with that much, but the first being that when you say trigger warning, like this content might be, you know, it, it, not suitable if you've lost someone to suicide or something, um, that you're putting them kind of in a box of being, of your lady, like you're, you are your suicide loss. Um, and the second, which I, I really agree with is like, if you, if I say like trigger warning, don't listen to this episode, um, because there's talk of suicide, then people who really, some people who actually probably do need to hear this episode won't listen at all. And, this guy Courtney encourages people to say rather content warning, like there'll be talk about suicide. We encourage you to give yourself grace when listening to this episode, pause whenever you may need, need to, um, and resume whenever, you know, go on a walk after, um, you know, do some meditation, do what you need. And then you can always come back and listen. And I think that is just so much more powerful. And it also is, sharing the message that we don't need to hide away from these things that are taboo or not fun to talk about because by doing that, we're just shielding ourselves from information that we do need to learn and like exposure that we do need to have. Um, and kind of what you were saying, you know, about, you know, all these things that like have a happy ending. Um, and at this point, Stephanie Whittles Wax if you're listening to this please come on my podcast I've literally emailed you a million times um <laughs> but she's like the host of this podcast but she tell her the first episode they tell the story um that's so often talked about when it comes to suicide of like um this guy who like survived like he was going to jump off the uh San the Golden Gate Bridge and then another guy with the same name like helped him up and got in like whatever and when it not whatever it was a really horrifying story um but so often this story is told and it ends right when the police officer and the young black man you know hug it out and go on with their lives and that story is so it's the way it's framed is so powerful but it's so inauthentic because it didn't just end at there um, and then they go on to say that like between the time of like t for the next 10 years, that guy who had jumped off originally had 10 more suicide attempts or something like that. And it just it, the first episode of season two of this show really goes into what actually happened afterwards and how like progress is not linear. Recovery is not linear. It's not just going to be like, oh. I'm feeling great now, like, and moving on from that. But it's exactly as you said, you know, like we need to see a side of like people are struggling and this is what it looks like, but it's, it's okay. And it's not going to be easy, but we can get through this together.
Yeah, it's like finding community within that, which sounds really weird, but it's true. It's like if you can, it's so refreshing if you can have a conversation with somebody and you guys can talk about this and you realize like there's a lot of similarities. And I think if someone doesn't have someone to talk to, once they find someone who can relate to that sort of either episode or, or place they stay in, like that, that can be life-saving literally um, because it's, it's, you don't, it's one, you know, it's, you're not alone anymore. You know, at least one other person who goes through that. And then you talk to more people and you realize that it's uh, it's, it's the majority. And so it's, I don't know. It's, I, I agree with you though. I think the, the trigger warning, um, I think that comes up before something can, I think definitely deters a lot of people who probably need to see that. Um, but I can totally understand too, like the other side of the coin where it's like, if you have gone through that or know or, or experienced that, I don't like, you know, depending on where you're at in that, I can see why you like, you're like, I, this is the last thing I want to listen to, which I, I can get that as well. Um, but what I, don't get it is just the constant need to always like show a happy ending you got to have like the extension of that and, and talk about like you're saying like it's there's a happy ending with the the jumper but then it's like you have 10 other instances that happen of like suicide attempts so it's mm-hmm. that's not the it's always good to end like with the big hug but that's not the truthful ending um yeah. and it's okay that it's not Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing too, is like being okay with it, not being a happy ending, but at least it's real and authentic and true. And I think that, I don't know. I think now it's become something where it's like, let's fabricate this just to like sort of put a, put a soft cushion on this, which I think that can be okay in some instances, but I think it's, I think at the end of the day, like I think a lot of people appreciate when it's just truthful and from the heart and not, something that's adjusted just for people's like comfort because it's just not a it's it will never be a comfortable conversation no matter how much you fluff it and once you got enough fluff to make it comfortable it just won't be real anymore yeah it's almost like by having that you don't need to get through the tunnel you just need to see the light at the end of it and i think that's just and and it's amazing that you've used your platform to share your story because i I imagine like if, if your experience has been anything like mine, just having this podcast, A, I feel so much more comfortable talking about things now than I did when I started it. And B, I found that it's like this weird thing where all people need to open up is like just a, the door to be slightly opened and to feel like, and, and so that's why I, I'm so willing, too willing to put myself out there and tell, talk about my history with blah, blah, like plenty of issues. Um, because if one person listening can relate, then by all means, like use my trauma to feel better. Like I, that, that is fine. And I, I think it's brave and like, I think it's brave of me. I think it's brave of, of you, what you're doing, especially, I mean, at least like I don't post videos. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess, you know, with your storytelling project, how did, was that a kind of, did that come after the, the movie? And if so, kind of what prompted Like that? would be here now, like the actual yeah. like organization. Yeah. For me, um, after I made that PSA, um, I think I just, there was a lot of, I don't know, that, that was what was crazy is that that was the first time I've released a project and still to this day, I mean, we're coming up on, we shot that 10 months ago 
still every single week I get an email, a DM or a text of someone bringing that up and being like, I lost a friend of suicide two weeks ago. Like, I wish I would have seen this earlier and maybe this would have like saved him. Uh, one person who had then I actually worked with on a film last month, um, he reached out and was like, I grew up in a Muslim family and like, we're not allowed to talk about mental health, like at least in my family, but since you released this and you're a filmmaker, I'm a filmmaker, like I felt like seen. And so now I feel comfortable talking about mental health with like people around me. And so those type of conversations were being had, like just in a comment section or like a DM. So it was like, okay, like there's something bigger here and so, something really resonate with people in this, in this piece. So for me, I wanted to start an organization that essentially created more of those and just documented real people and told their stories like in a short like bite size um amount of time and that's sort of been like the goal with be here now is one part of it the organization at least is to have apparel that and merchandise that helps sort of be like a walking billboard for mental health awareness um and then using the money made from that to then go create these films about other people and have their experience talked about and then have kind of like this this cycle of more eyes are exposed in these films, which then sells more merchandise, which then helps because it's like a walking billboard. And then that funds more films for people to see online. And that's been kind of like the goal um, when I started it back in February of this year. It's just been, um, it's, it's, it's funny. Like I know you have this and you have a full-time job. So it's, it's been an interesting balance of like me, like my full-time job being a commercial director, but then also trying to like create content for an organization and like finding time for that. So that's been the, uh, I think that's been the tricky part of it. it's like finding that balance in it all um, and just like emotional bandwidth, like everything that I work on in my commercial work and all the films that I work on are very like heavy and like emotionally sort of uh, raw. And so it's, it, it's, it has been like an overload at times to be like, okay, like the last film I just directed and wrote was about a man's last conversation with his wife before she dies in hospice care. And then I come back from Cleveland after directing that. And then I go shoot like a project for Be Here Now. And it's like, you, you can just feel it yeah. sort of weighing you down because it's just so much uh, emotional bandwidth to handle. And so that's been like the other thing too, is not just the the time, but also like I need like space in between. Um, yeah, major compassion fatigue. <laughs> for sure, yeah. And it's, uh, but there's like a lot of projects that I want to do with this. Uh, but the very first thing I ever shot for, be here now was an interview between a mother and a daughter who lost their husband and dad to suicide six years ago. And we just had like an open conversation where they just talked about it, went back and forth and to just sit back and just capture this conversation. I mean, that was like, even though I'm not like feeding them questions, like I'm just letting them like riff, like that was like, okay, like this is, this is really something special and something that I think is really going to help a lot of people. Cause if I, I just don't know if, any other really organizations that are just like putting out just raw content. It's like, I'm not trying to make stuff that's super fluffed up and feels really high end. Like I just want to make small films and like PSAs and documentary pieces about like real people who go through real problems and just talk about it. And I think that's yeah. the biggest thing is, um, and that's the whole motto with my, would be here now is that uh, like our whole motto is progress starts with conversation. And I think that's totally true. I think you have to have, um, I think that once you have that initial conversation, you kind of spark that that moment. I think it allows people to put their shields down and just open up. And if you can let out how you feel inside, I think that's half of the battle right there. I think a lot of it is what leads to this, at least from my experience, is like the heavy feelings of depression, anxieties, because you have all this stuff built in. You have it 
feels like you can't let it out because it's just stuck in there and it keeps getting submerged, submerged, submerged. But when you can find people to talk about it with, you've had that conversation, you feel like a, a weight's been lifted off your shoulders because there's there's been like this release, this moment, this experience. So if I can create films that can at least affect one person in that, um, there's sort of a domino effect of that person then wanting to go have that conversation with someone else and in hopes that then just opens up people a lot more than how they are currently. I love that progress begins with conversation and it's so, so true. I mean, that's exactly like what I believe in and why I have this, <laughs> this podcast. And I think, I mean, just, I know that if like, if I had seen that conversation between that mom and daughter back in 2018 like after I lost my friend I would have felt so much less alone um and also I mean this granted like obviously I don't know if this is like true or not there's no stats behind it but for me when I when I lost my friend like I went on like rumination dark hole like google googling everything you know like trying to find things to make me feel better that just did not and like definitely did not cope in the most healthy way. But if I had been given a resource like that, if I had seen something like that, that's all like the, that sense of community. And like, I'll never forget a conversation I had with a friend who had lost her cousin to suicide. And she was the only person um, at the time. I wasn't even that close with her. And that was the irony was, you know, I, but she could relate in some way. And so she knew the questions to ask. She was, she asked me, you know, what was he like? Like, I want to know all about him as opposed to people who just kind of like shied away from asking me anything because they thought it would trigger me, which was totally fine. People, we aren't, you know, we don't have classes on how to deal with grief or deal with other people's loss. Um, But having someone who's experienced it, and having that conversation was like the first light I had had in, in so long. And so I think what you're doing is really amazing. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's just like, I think um, it's just like necessary. It just is like I, my, like, like my gift, I'm like air quoting that, but just like my, my talent is that I'm a filmmaker. And so I feel like I want to use that for good. And I want to be able, like, if I have, if I can go create things that can, can initiate that conversation, um, like, you know, it's, it's the people who like, you, you know, when you lost your friend, it's like, if they don't have someone to talk to, like you were able to find someone, like at least they can watch like a film or something like that, that we create to then at least give some sort of not full closure, but at least make sense of something or at least get them closer to closure. Um, because like you said, there is no class on it and there's nothing, there's no sort of exact right way to handle it because it's, everyone's different too. Um, so it's, it's such a, it's a tricky subject, but I think if you can just, I think the, it just comes down to like, like relatability. Once you find someone else who can connect with, with you, I think that's when a lot of progress happens from that because it's, you, you guys are kind of even with each other and you know, you're able to to sort of relate. And I think that helps a lot. Um, once, once you can find someone who can relate to, to other things that you've dealt with as well. And that's kind of the goal too, is to have different types of people, whether it's a mother and daughter or a filmmaker 
or a musician or just a normal person who just works at corporate night. Like it's like every single type of person goes mm-hmm. through these things. And I think if we can be specific about ticking a lot of boxes, then there's something for everyone to go, Oh, I'm a musician. Okay. I've gone through this. Or I'm a, I'm a filmmaker. I've gone through that. Or I'm just a normal person. And, but like, I, I lost my dad and like me and my mom can watch this. It's, you know, it's for every single type of person. I think once there's a bank of a lot of those films, I think then it can really do a lot of impact. Absolutely. Introducing the grandmother podcast where each week grandparents are interviewed by their own grandchildren sharing stories, exchanging perspectives, and connecting more deeply through authentic first-hand conversations. Featuring incredible people that you've never known and some that you might, we explore everything from culture and relationships to the kinds of important life lessons that can really only come with experience. You can listen to new episodes of Grandmother every Sunday, wherever you listen to podcasts. So I always wrap up with some questions that are like somewhat related to the podcast, somewhat, somewhat not. First question being, what's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today? Uh, I would, I would say going through that whole experience of 2020 and like that, that episode of um, just feeling really dark and down. I, I had a talk that I did a couple of weeks ago um, and I said this at the talk and I, I always make a note to want to say it because it's very dark but it's true and I think it can help people out there just to know like I was very very low on the bar but it was I don't know when it was but there was at some point in 2020 like I was the lowest I've ever been before and like I went into my notes app and I wrote down every possible way I could kill myself like that's how low it got and I would I would put next to each of those like why like I maybe wouldn't want to do that or like you know I was like having like that conversation like in the notes app which is crazy and I still I still have that like pinned as well just to like as a reminder of where I've come and like the progress I made but for me to be able to go from that bottom of the bar and I don't mean as if like it was weak but it's just like to go to that place and then come out of that um and to just kind of reach the top of that mountain like for me it's I think that's what's really made me a stronger person is if I can pull myself out of that then I can pull myself out of really anything going forward yeah no and that's brave of you for sharing was this the Soho House event Mm mm-hmm Shout out so House for the connection. I forgot about it. I know. Time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thank you, Gavin, forever. Um, no, I think that's that's so important. And I like how a, you said, you know, it's interesting that you said like next to each reason was like why you wouldn't want to do that. And I think that shows the hope in that moment. Right. That it was a last resort, not. Yeah, I think uh, reflection is huge. I think that's how we work through issues or problems that we have in the present day to look back on what you were able to work out before. Um, mm-hmm. Just to know, we, I think we just don't realize how capable we are to work through all of these sort of different things that we go through. We think it's the end of the world, but then, you know, you look back and you go, okay, I made it out of that. I made it out of that. I made it out of that. Like I can definitely make it out of this. Um, exactly. It's, 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 we're a lot more defined, I think, than we think we actually are. Definitely. Do you have a favorite quote or a mantra that you live by? <laughs> yeah. So on my, one of my tattoos, I have trust the process. Um, that's okay. like my, that's my favorite uh, quote. Um, and some, it's, I, I joke with my mom um, because it's like, she'll, she kind of like then sort of bullies me into being like, if I'm ever, if I'm ever like, oh, this isn't working, she'd be like, 
trust the process, dude. Come on. Like, that's your thing. And I'll be like, but I fucking hate the process sometimes. <laughs> it's, but it's like it, every the whole thing with that quote is like, it always works out. And there's been too many moments in my life with just how sort of everything has ebbed and flowed and sort of connected that I just, I, I don't really use the word like luck or like chance. Like it just, everything feels very meant to be. And I think like, I don't know if you've had an experience before where you move into a new chapter of life or you experience something and it it doesn't, it just feels like it's meant to be. It was like, okay, Mm -hmm. this was already lined up and like I, I connected. Um, and I got to that bar. It doesn't feel like, it feels almost like deja vu in a way. Um, I, it's like, I wasn't going to ask this question, but now I need to know, do you believe everything happens for a reason? It's such a cheesy quote. I mean, man, on the spot with the Tumblr quotes. Um, I'm trying to think, I mean, for me, maybe, I don't know. I don't have like a, def- I don't have like a definitive answer, but I, I think, I don't know. I know in moments of people going through loss, you hear that quote a lot. And I'm sure it's probably the most annoying thing to hear from people when they go, well, everything happens for a reason, you know, so it's fine. It's like, that isn't, that's not a bandaid. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, if someone told, I can only speak from my own experience, but if like, if someone told me that in 2020, I would have been like, dude, like F off. Like, that's like, I don't want to hear that right now, but it's like, as I just said, it's like, that's a strength I now find is that I went through that. So I would say situationally, everything happens for a reason, yeah. but I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't even know if I have an opinion. I safe to say when COVID happened, I, I removed that question from my repertoire. <laughs> so I was like, maybe we should wait a little bit. Like, yeah, no one knows what's going on, but I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if like every, I, I mean, obviously it's a very cliche phrase. Um, but as you said, like there are those moments where like, you know, the butterfly effect, mm-hmm. like where I really question because it's like, if, wow, if I had made this one turn or like even me coming to Austin, like a lot of that was rooted in family problems and wanting to get out and fights and things that like happened and made me be like, fuck it. I'm going to apply to grad school and go move to Texas, which I never would have done in if normal state of mind. Um, and then lo and behold, I came here, met like the most amazing human beings I've ever met in my entire life. And I got a dog who I love more than anything in the world. And like, <laughs> maybe like, what if I hadn't gotten in that, those fights? Like, what if I had been loving New York like continuously so it's really makes you question, but that that's why I sometimes ask that question because I'm always curious on, you know, people's people's thoughts. Because obviously it's like it's very existential, like, no, like slavery should not. Have, there was really no great reason that that, that happened at all. Right. Things like that or war and thing, you know, bigger things. But when you look at your own life and you think of your own struggles, sometimes there can find the silver linings. Yeah, I mean, my like, I don't know if this is an analogy, but like an example I always give is like, if you go to like an arcade and like you, it's like really old arcade game and like you start level one, but you see the other levels that are locked, like two through 10, it's like, those are already created, but you have to work through each one to get to that. And I think for me, like that's how life has kind of felt where it's like you go through these trials and tribulations, but then you get to that next level. And it's like, you, it feels natural. It doesn't feel like 
foreign. It feels like you were meant to be there. And for me, it's like that's happened too many times where it's like there's no way that um, uh, this was like up to chance. Like, for instance, I was in Austin six months ago for a commercial and I was at Soho House and this person tapped me on the shoulder and he's like, Parker, what's going on? And I turn around. It's the and when I was in high school, the first music video I ever shot, it was the artist for that. So no we met, way. that was in 20, 2012. And that's like, I haven't seen him in like a decade. And it's like, that's there's, wild. there's just, there's no way that like that sort of happens just randomly like that. Just, I don't know. And it's not like anything insane came from that, but it was just like that. I just don't call that like, oh, it's like lucky you were here. Like that by chance, like that was just, it was meant for us to catch up in that moment. Yeah. Um, so there's experiences awesome. like that, that just totally just, I think, I don't know, make me question a lot of things. If it, it, Like that, I think maybe everything does happen for a reason, but are also just like, I think things are sort of in place for us. And if we put in the work and we go through, like I said, the trials and tribulations to get there, like you will get to that place. I totally agree. What do you love most about yourself? Uh, I'm like a, people person and I get that from my mom and I feel like I should have brought her up like a lot more in this conversation because that's like my best friend mentor like at cheerleader like all the above um and I get a lot of my traits that I really love like loving talking to people hardworking, like passion like all of those are from her uh and so for me it's like I got I will use the word lucky in this instance. I got very lucky to be her son, to like be able to like have a mom like that and to be able to instill all these values in me um, to sort of be the person that I am. So for me, it's, I don't know. I, I, my thing though is like one of those values being like, I just love being around people and, and, and sort of being there for others and being a people person. And, and I think that in turn has allowed me to have conversations like we're having right now. And then also, create films that I want to make that sort of also have extensions of conversations after that as well. So it's, I don't know, it's like a mixed bag. I don't know if I have like one, but I definitely, I definitely like the idea that I, I love being around people and I love inspiring people and love figuring out how I can help others be the best that they can be as well. Yeah, no, it's, I, I can really, have you read um, The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell? Chance? So I actually, <laughs> Fun fact, use this in my like college application, I think, or like a really long time ago. But there's this like part of it where he talks about like the three types of people who, um, like, I forget that who have special powers or something. And one of them is the connector. And it's the person who knows so many people from different walks of life, is very outgoing, um, and can just make connections because of who they know and you know because they were well regarded by all those different people and I've always kind of thought of myself as that type of person which like <laughs> worked when I was applying for jobs and sales <laughs> but also just like in in life I mean being able to reach out to a mutual friend um to be the first guest on my podcast and who later became the bachelor and like you know it, it's helped me in life but also is so just rewarding being that person and like I don't know. I I can relate to that feeling and I and I definitely like surrounding myself by people as well. 
Yeah. And you're, you're probably built that way too. It's not like you wake up and you think, okay, I got to be like this, right. It's very sort of innately built into you, which yeah. is, I think that's, a, if you can't really, you can teach that, but it's like, you're either it's that or you're not. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's, what's really cool. It's just being able to move like that and thinking like, well, that's, there's no other way. Like I have, like, this is the way I have to do it. And I think that sort of consistency, like obviously is like shows, like obviously you've been very successful and like, that's clear, like that sort of a way that you move. And I think people like yourself, like have to have that sort of built in to, to be able to be successful. Yeah. Retweet. And last question, which is the name of the podcast is how do you find solace in the city and city can be New York, Dallas, some, I don't know, mental state of mind. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely different for New York and Dallas for me. Um, what I really look forward to is my sort of solace is like not leaving the city because it's like overwhelming, but more getting out of that bubble mm-hmm. and going back and seeing family and realizing that that is what is important and sort of kind of, I think when you're in a city like an Austin and New York or in LA, I think you get so caught up in like what's happening, what's so present that you don't realize like none of that really matters. Like commercials I'm pitching on, things I'm working on, things I'm doing like in that space, like those are cool. And those are like, I need to do those to make money. But it's like, at the end of the day, that isn't like the end all be all. But when I leave that bubble and I go back home, like my solace is just like being with family and being able to just like enjoy like the little things. So like, I, I guess I would say like my solace is like enjoying the little things in life and 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 not taking those for granted. I love that. Parker, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been awesome talking to you, and I'm just so glad that I was able to connect with you. Where can everyone, um, you know, watch your PSA? Where can they check out Be Here Now? Plug everything, and I'll also include it in the show notes. Yeah, so my website for my personal work is parkerfoster.com. Pretty easy. And then uh, the organization is beherenow.org. Amazing. And... Um, I'm assuming socials are the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again and bye everyone.